Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Sao Paulo. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. We've got producer Megan on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. Had a week off. We've got three straight weeks of action here in all of those episodes, including this one, are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Cody, how was your week off? Yeah, good. Enjoyed it. We've been racing the DOP racehorse, D.A. Jiminy Cricket, and uh, he won three in a row, as you know. Yeah, as you know, and the boys, shout out to DOP Racing. Uh, Yeah, so been occupied with that, man. He's been racing pretty well. We got like another good series coming up, so I enjoyed the week off, but I can't say I like did anything like abnormal. Anyways, it's cold in Canada. It is definitely winter time. We're getting that minus degree weather. So uh hopefully we can spice some things up and get heated up with a nice little Brazilian card. Now, these 13 fight Brazilian fight night cards usually greasy traps. That being said, the Brazilians usually walk in most of these spots. And as you can see by the lines at this point, pretty chalky. So let's try to figure out who's going to shit in the apple pie. Avoid them. Hit the rest of them. Make a little money. 100%. All right, main event. We've got Jailton Almeida taking on Derek Lewis. Minus 500 for Jailton. Uh, plus 380 for Derek Lewis. I mean, this is not exactly rocket science. Um, obviously, the more interesting fight was the fight that was canceled. I wanted to see Jailton go up against a guy with the wrestling capabilities of Curtis Blades. That was the fight. There's so many questions like, is he able to do this to everybody or has he just been getting a whole bunch of matchups against guys that he's just so much better at wrestling then? Um, this one's a pretty straightforward type of matchup. Jailton's going to come out. He's going to try to take down Derek Lewis immediately. Derek Lewis hits like a, a ton of bricks um, and he could obviously very well knock him out. I think Jailton will get a hold of him. Derek Lewis hasn't been very hard to take down. Derek, Derek Lewis, he has historically been like decent at getting back up, but it's like Jailton brings a certain level of jiu-jitsu to the table. It's like, I don't know if Derek Lewis is ready for. Factor all in that like Derek Lewis, I don't know how he got into Brazil because apparently he had like a DUI or so, or not DUI. Was he driving too fast? I don't know. Something, something happened in the States or was that a... F- a Fugazi report that I saw. Either way, he isn't. No, it, was like a, it was a reckless driving, but yeah. all the same, Brazil doesn't care. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I just didn't know if like there was like, it would be tough to get out of the States, but. Oh, he did it in Brazil. Uh, no, I think it was in the States. It was yeah. a Ferrari. <laughs> if he has a Ferrari with him in Brazil, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pat was asking me about that earlier, and I didn't have all the details, obviously. But I was also like, I'm like, bro, like in MMA, it's like, it's not like other sports. It's like, if you start nitpicking about like little issues like this that these guys have in their regular life, it's like, you're not going to have 26 fighters to show up on fight day. Like it's a different, it's a different beast all the way around. I think Jailton takes him down. I think Jailton finds a submission. I think he does it probably in round one. It's not the fight that it's not the true test that I really wanted out of it. And then, yeah, you factor in maybe Derek Lewis isn't as focused, as prepared as he was last time out coming into his fight where, you know, he showed up, he had a couple abs, and we were like, is Derek Lewis back? And he was back. Uh, I hate this matchup for Derek Lewis. So, Jailton sub, Jailton sub one. 
they're all super, super chalky. That's just how I see it shaking out. What about you? Yeah, I don't know if I would chase a sub one, but that's probably the logical way of attacking it. And if it's any other weight class in MMA, this thing's not minus 500. It's because it's a heavyweight fight. And eh, what can you do? But yeah, think back, man. Derek Lewis was thought to be done. He's actually done. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Taitui Vasta knocks him out after he gasses in the second. Sergey Pavlovich murders him, which is okay. We'll give him a pass. But Sergey Spivak takes him down six times in three minutes. Six times on eight attempts in three minutes and subs him in the first. By the way, he not really known for his submission game, although he does have, you know, decent jiu-jitsu, don't get me wrong, not really known for his submission game, and still he just mops him out of there in the first. Then we get Derek Lewis, okay, at plus money, because you'll remember this, we hit it, against the worst heavyweight on the on the roster, Rogerio de Lima, and he beats him. Great. And then right away it's like, I think he signs an eight-fight contract or something stupid, and he's back, baby, and he's headlining a UFC card on short notice. Like, at what point is he really back? More than he's a fun heavyweight that will get in there and bang it out with guys. And he can beat low guy, low-level low guys. He can beat some strikers that maybe don't take him seriously. He can win a fight in an under one and a half. But in terms of fighting a, a ranked contender on his way up, who's a grappler, who's landed at least one takedown in every single appearance... And uh, like you said, he has excellent grappling. So it's not like Sergey Spivak where he needs to take him down six times. Probably only needs to take him down a couple times. He took Yarazina Rosenstruck down one time. That's all it took. Then he submitted him. In a lot of ways, Rosenstruck presents the same problems as Derek Lewis. He's big. He's physical. He's got killer KO power. He touches you, you're dead. Doesn't really have a great gown game. Guys like Jelton Almeida gonna beat him. Now, puncher's chance, sure, because it's a heavyweight fight. You just saw Fury versus Ngannou, like anything had happened, and Derek Lewis embodies puncher's chance. He's got uh, just a tremendous amount of, of ability to finish guys, but it's few and far between as far as I'm concerned. He doesn't have the other skills to present a problem. He doesn't have the full camp. He's going into enemy territory. And Almeida, who was a 205-er, now fights at heavyweight, only weighs in at about 230. So puncher's chance is definitely there. But him being 230 just makes him so much faster. And he's already proven he can take down these big guys. And Lewis has not exactly shown any real ability to stuff the takedown. Like you said, an ability to get back up. And then what? Just gets taken right back down again. So Almeida might not have a great gas tank. But to this point, he's just been so dominant and very efficient with how he goes about it. I, I would think Lewis needs one of these Hail Mary type KOs. And I'm just not willing to bet on it. So... Jell told him all the way. Minus 500, sure. Top ticket, yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll see if we have to hedge once we get there. But like, I'm thinking let it ride. Like, I, I really like this matchup for him. That being said, it's a heavyweight fight. So who knows what's going to actually happen. But it's set up for Almeida to win. I mean, Jailton sub is like minus 125 in terms of some of the early props that are out there. That's not so bad, to be perfectly honest. Probably Unless he just mounts them and just and just keeps punching away and the ref stops it. Like, that's the thing. There's going to be such a difference between does, Lair does Lewis sit flat on his back and get TKO'd or does he roll over and give it the rear naked? But in both scenarios, you and I see it the same way. Almeida is either on his back or on his chest, but he's going to be on top of it. Yeah, it's actually hilarious. I was like, oh, what's his inside the distance? At the book that I'm looking at, his inside the distance prop is actually worse than his money line, which is kind of funny. Um, minus 500. Money line. Yeah, yeah it's just like it's obviously yeah. a mistake in the yeah, in the algorithm or whatever. He's minus 500 on the money line, but he's minus 525 inside the distance. So they're like, they're like, he's winning inside the distance. This is not going 25 minutes. 
is essentially what they're telling you there. All right, moving on down, we've got Gabriel Bonfim taking on Nicholas Dalby. Bonfim, a minus 600 favorite. Dalby can be had for plus 450. This is going to be kind of like a trend over the course of this episode. Um, I thought, you know, Dalby's kind of had a bit of a resurgence here in his career, and I've been kind of impressed with where he's going. Like, he's, he's kind of skilled everywhere. He's got... He's a, he's a jack of all trades, master of none. Like he's and the biggest problem with him, I suppose, for this matchup is that guy can't finish a sandwich. Outside of getting finished by Ronson in his UFC career, every other fight has went the full fifteen minute decision. So it's like at this price, minus six hundred plus four fifty, I am tempted towards taking a dog shot on Nicholas Dalby. I just don't know if he has the type of style to pull off a decision win in enemy territory. Nobody's going to be cheering for him. Anytime Bonfim lands, crowd's going to go wild. And obviously, Bonfim has been such an absolute destroyer of worlds going out there. He's probably going to win round one pretty handedly. If Dolby's able to survive, um, you know, maybe it could be game on type of thing. But... um, if this fight was lined like this and we were in Vegas, I'm 100% betting Nicholas Dalby. Because we're in Sao Paulo, I probably just straight up pass. But at the price, it would be a dogger pass. What about you? Yeah, the price scares you off for sure. Because on one hand, you've got Bomb Fiend who looks the part. He's 15-0. and 0, He's young. He's at home. He's a legit prospect. And again, another one of these guys that's on his way up and figures that he's going to work his way into contention at some point. On the other hand, you've got gatekeeper Dalby, who three-fight winning streak, but very much he's not getting a whole lot better. He just has an ability to outwork his opponents. But, Paul, he's two weeks removed from his 39th birthday, so at what point is this super stud Brazilian kid going to go out there and shred his head off? I'm optimistic about the fact, same thing you said, guy's never been finished, right? Ronson, juice to the titties, uh, he put him away one time. Mm-hmm. But again, because of the positive drug test, it's hard to... And Ronson's a badass. Like, you can't take that away from him. The guy's a legit killer. So, had a bad run in the UFC. People might say that's a bad loss for Dolby, but I'll give him a pass on that one for sure. Guy's durable. And that's kind of his thing, is that he'll take that early beating and his work his way back into it. Bomb theme, you go back to his regional show career. Uh, you go back to UFC. You go back to contender series. You go back to everything. He just tends to finish very quickly. So... It's not hard to imagine that he could get tired. He fought Trey Waters on the Contender Series. That one at least made it late into the first round. But again, he's so explosive. Everything he does is is 100%. He's a, a very talented young prospect, but he doesn't have that veteran savviness to him. He doesn't have that ability to slow the pace down and pick his shots a little bit. Works on Trey Waters, gets the win. Wins his first two fights in the UFC. But again, it's Manuel Lazez, like a 49-second guillotine choke. And then Trevin Giles in like a minute 20 guillotine choke. Both of those are actually nice wins. You can't deny it, right? But they're both quick guillotine chokes. So if somebody was to, in theory, survive that first round, pull his head out of the guillotine, fight him into the second, bring him into the third and make it a dogfight, how would he really stand in that? He's got a couple third-round finishes on his record. Again, regional show fights. So it's not as if he's shown us any real reason why you should doubt his gas tank. But the path of victory for Dolby is that, because that's how he wins. Even his last fight against Muslim Salikov, he loses the first round. He generally doesn't look great early. He's a bit of a slow starter, but he's done it time and time again, going back to that Darren Till fight, which is like, what? That's almost like 10 years ago at this point. The guy does keep coming, right? He doesn't go away easily. So he's fought in enemy territory a bunch. He's fought a lot on the road. And the fact is he's a tough out. And this money line doesn't necessarily reflect that. So I am picking Bomb Fiend. 
I think he is younger, faster, stronger. I think he does get those shots off. And again, he's not a veteran yet, but this is his third fight in the UFC. So he should be progressing. It is at home. Dolby is almost 39. I will take Bombfiend. But the money line really prevents you from getting any value out of it. So how, how hard do you hit it, considering there is legitimate risk? You have any thoughts on the total? Over one and a half, plus 120? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Bombfiend looks like a legit finisher. So that being said, if Dolby's going to come out and have a slow first round, then it could be very similar to the Ronson fight. The mm-hmm. Ronson fight, he got submitted, but he got dropped. He and did. then Ronson took his back and submitted him. So that one's actually the double double effect you can maybe knock him out you can maybe submit him bomb has got those vibes he hits hard he's very explosive he can maybe hurt him he can maybe grab a hold of the neck once he is hurt so if he's gonna finish he's probably gonna finish in that one and a half this thing gets out of the first round that's where i'm thinking it's just gonna go the distance if you were to ask me i'm i'm i'm, si- I'm gonna give dolby uh credit where credit's due okay the only guy that ever finished him ended up flagging for usada and taking like a three-year suspension out of it uh He's not been finished by anybody else. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he can survive the total. So I would say the over on the total. But uh, but if Bombfiend's the real deal, again, he's got pass to finish this thing early. 100%. All right, moving on down, we got Rodrigo Nascimento taking on Dante Almeida's minus 170 for Rodrigo Nascimento, plus 150 for D1 Dante. Is Dante going to show up and be able to wrestle here? Probably not. That's why Rodrigo Nascimento's game. That's his wheelhouse in here. I mean, Don Taylor's been a weird guy to kind of like track over the course of his career. Shows up, able to wrestle in some of his matchups. Other times, he doesn't really show up and do that at all. Shows up against uh, against Andre Arlovsky. Is kind of able to hang out at range and then knocks him out. And Ar- Arlovsky, in fairness, hadn't been knocked out in quite some time before that fight. fight. Uh, shows up against uh, Handy Anal Swab. Gets taken down three times. Absolutely crushes everybody's CLV in that matchup. It's just like, this guy is all over the place. Uh, it's a real greasy heavyweight fight, Cody. I want to hear what you have to say. Like, I don't even know where to go with this one. Yeah, neither do I, because, again, it's a rematch, and it's the rematch that nobody asked for, right? So the last time they fought... Oh, my God, they did fight in 2020. And and Dante Mays was god-awful in that fight, gave up the two takedowns, got rear-naked choked in the second, just gassed out, and looked absolutely horrid. Since then, yeah, he hasn't really done a whole lot, whereas Nascimento, by no means is he great. He ended up getting knocked out by Doukas, then he got uh, got a no-contest versus Alan Bodo off another positive test, and he looked awful in the Bodo. Yeah, round one the against first round. Bodo was was boxing him up in round one, and you know how we like that is the worst fighter in UFC heavyweight history. So, in a long time, certainly, yeah. So, so it, bad looks, and then he squeaks out a split decision over Tana Bozer. That could have gone either way, but he leaned on him, got the two takedowns, and then he got taken down twice by Iller Latifi in a god awful fight for the ages, and it's another split decision. So, even though he's technically speaking should be three and one but the bodo's a no contest and then he's got two split decisions in the mix like his career it's not been going good 30 years old especially at heavyweight just a baby but he's not getting any better what does he do well you know yeah he leans on guys his wrestling's not that great if he can't take you down great but beyond that he's just he's a big boy he's a big boy and he'll try to lean on you and maze maze is also a big boy, but in a different way. He's got that long length to him. He likes to play the outside. He likes to use range. He's got an okay jab on him, but he doesn't particularly fight like a good long fighter. He generally gets in these greasy uh, grappling exchanges. 
He's prone to getting his back pressed up against the cage, giving up space. I don't know, man. It's just such a greasy fight. Now, now as many faults as Dante Mays has, still only 31 years old himself, so not super old by no stretch, as many faults as he does have, he did look good in the Arlovsky fight, at least when he got the finish, right? First round, he's figuring it out. Second round, he puts him away. He's such a big, long guy, six foot six, long reach, training with John Jones. I wouldn't even consider him a poor man's John Jones, but he could at least emulate some of those things. It's a good guy to work with. Bottom line, though, is he's another heavyweight that just has really not made any improvements. He's not made any progression. So when I look at this fight, to me, it's just a total dogger pass because I could see both guys winning. I could see either guy maybe going out there and getting his hand raised, but I wouldn't be confident in it. It is in Brazil. If the judges are going to favor the crowd, the crowd's probably only going to be hot for one guy. Mm-hmm. I could see Nascimento winning the first round, winning parts of the second round, flat out gassing. Maze maybe works his way back into it, but is it enough in Brazil? I don't know. So, like, my heart says just go Nascimento, but I'm also thinking Dogger Pass, if you could get plus money on this thing. Um, Nascimento's sub is in play as well, though. I don't know. I'm thinking it's going rounds, man. I think it's a greasy heavyweight fight where both guys are tentative to engage. Nascimento's trying to slow him down by holding him up against the cage. Then you're going to have Maze, who's not going to want to throw combinations because he knows the takedown's coming. So he's going to be pot-shotting jabs, maybe some low kicks, dancing from the outside and trying to kill time. I, I think it hits the over. Submission, Nascimento, yeah, maybe if Maze is that bad. But but I'm, but I'm thinking he just stays at distance in pot shots and the judges are going to have to get it right. In Brazil, probably going to favor the Brazilian guy. Yeah. So what's your official pick there? The official pick that I'm going to put on the PRP is going to be Nascimento. Low on the list. Okay. It seemed like, yeah, I, um, I'm going to, I'll lean towards not Nascimento with you, but yeah, outside of like, we'll see where the prices come out on like Rodrigo Nascimento sub. I don't have much interest in betting the fight, to be perfectly honest. Uh, moving on down, we've got Kyle Baralio taking on Abis Magomedov, minus 300. For the fight nerd, Kyle Baralio, uh, Abis can be had for plus 250. This is an interesting one because, like, Kyle, what, what he does the most and what we see the most out of him is that, you know, he's very, very smart out there. Like, he fights. <laughs> It's not always entertaining, but he knows what he's good at, and it's like leaning on you, taking you down, rinse, repeat. Um, I, I kind of think, like, from a betting perspective, round one, like, after round one, you're going to get a better price on Kyle than this. Like, I'm not going to be stunned to see Avis go out there, put some hands on I mean, he put hands on, uh, on Strickland in round one was looking very, very good, and then completely fell off of a cliff. That's kind of, I mean, Kyle has not shown much in the in the realm of his stand-up capabilities. If he's not getting takedowns early because Abus is a little bit too strong um, at, uh, you know, on the feet and making it hard for him to enter without taking severe damage, I could see Abus having a very, very good round one, and then Kyle getting like takedowns in rounds two and three, maybe even getting a late round three finish type of thing. Um, Abus just fell off such a cliff the moment you you just saw like a drop of a hat, just like all of a sudden, just like oh yeah, Strickland's got this guy, and then pff, all of a sudden now Strickland's the the champion of the world. So I'll go with Kyle. I think I. The problem with him is, like, I've told myself in other situations, like, 
this guy is not doesn't care about your prop. This guy is not going for finishes. Um, if you could get like one of those like Kyo round three or decision props, you know what I mean, where they give you the round three or decision, I would I'd maybe if the price is right, be interested in that. But uh, I think round one's going to be bad for him. So like minus three hundred, I'm not too excited about hopping on. Um, when I think he'll probably be closer to evens after round one. What's your take here? Yeah, so on paper, it definitely looks like it's a, diff- a difficult matchup for Kyle Barajal. And considering Naboose number, uh, sorry, Naboose Magomedov has a striking advantage. He's got a little bit of power advantage. Not only that, guys from Dagestan, guy knows how to wrestle. Wrestling generally hasn't been the deficiency of his. So if he can just sprawl out Kyle Barajal, make sure he doesn't go to the ground with him. Yeah, why can't he just box him up for two of the three rounds? But I don't think he's got great cardio, first and foremost. He's a guy that when you watch on the regional scene, he's generally fought very low-level opposition and has his way with them. I think if you could pull him into deeper waters, that's where he's going to struggle. Now, he has two submission losses on his record, but they're way earlier in his career. As of late, how he's been losing, he doesn't got a great chin, man. People will remember him from that PFL tournament where he lost a million dollars to Lewis Taylor, of all people, in his 40s. Lewis Taylor, that Lewis Taylor, knocked him out because he doesn't got a great chin. I'll admit, the Sean Strickland fight, I was heavy on Sean Strickland, and the guy did okay in the first round. But again, watch that fight back. Abuz Nurmagomedov is hot in the pants. He's throwing a ton of combinations. He's working, working, working. And Strickland just looks at him like, we've got five rounds to work with, and I'm going to stretch you into the later rounds. And then slowly drowns him with volume. Ends up outstriking him like 86 to 44 or something. Basically doubles him up. And then TKOs him. You could see, like you said, Abu's just steam comes out of him. And I get this is only a three-round fight, but Cal's going to make him work. He's going to make him work early. Very smart fighter, very high ring IQ. All the guys out of Fighting Nerds. It's actually an appropriate name for them because they're churning out some very legitimate prospects. And Barajal is one of the original ones. I think the kid's legit. Now, he's always a minus 300 favorite in all of these spots. And I'll admit, wrestling doesn't look all that good. And his striking is super like low volume go back to that Macman muradov fight he landed 19 significant strikes 15 minutes mm-hmm. his fight with armin petrosian he landed 12 significant strikes in 15 minutes a career high godzi um omar garzia i'm sorry where he had landed that 31 his last fight i guess against mikhail he landed 34 a little bit better mikhail's got no ground game so that one's obviously going to look a lot better the thing is, is that it's low volume and the wrestling's not great. But here's the thing. He doesn't necessarily need the takedown. If he gets the takedown, you're screwed. Top game's excellent. If he takes your back, he's not going anywhere. He'll just backpack you. That's the end of the round. If you take him down, which is a possibility, you saw Makhmurov do it twice. He's got excellent jiu-jitsu off his back. He's able to hit a sweep. He's able to hit a reversal. Now, all of a sudden, he's on top of you and he didn't need the takedown. So Magomedov can wrestle, sure, he's from Dagestan, sure, but if these constant transitions are going to happen, he's either going to give up his back in one of these spots, going to get taken down in these spots, or if he ends up on top, probably looking for the sweep. I don't think he's got that killer KO power to take out Barahal before he gets going, so he's going to have to fend him off. And the longer you fend him off, the more you're going to tire. The more you tire, the easier it's going to be. Kid's got good cardio. He's on a legit winning streak right now. He's in Brazil. And not only that, he's getting ready to take on uh, Nur Sultan Rozboyev, who is a badass, bro. That guy had like 45 pro fights and a ton of power. I was fading. To me, this is, yeah. I was yeah, fading, Baralio. I actually had a ticket in on that at like an absurd number. It was like really, really wide. Um, Rozboyev looks really good. It was like I'll plus admit. 300 um, that I had. And obviously it was, it was voided now, but 
I was fading Baraglio in that spot. I'll admit that guy that guy's a legitimate problem. This was a really high profile fight, and I thought the winner of this is gonna be a factor in the division. Mabus Namag uh Magomedov, sorry, he's coming off that Sean Strickland fight. Sure. He to me is not a top 15 guy. I don't think he's gonna be a contender. He's not one of your rugged Dagestanis from Dagestan. He's been in Germany, spent most of his career on that regional scene. He floated around PFL. Generally, all of his wins before coming over have been lower level. He hasn't been very active. He's dealt with injuries. And quietly, he's getting up, not getting up there in age. I think he's like 33, 32-33. But enough so that I think this is a great spot for Bauhaus who's defeated two Russians, arguably better than this one, and was preparing for, not a Russian, I think he's like Uzbekistanian or something. But and he's Is he? Yeah, Kazakh. Ruzabov is a problem. Fact, fact is, the guy's a problem. So he's got the full camp. Now you've got to fly over on short notice to enemy territory in front of a hostile crowd, and your cardio's not great to begin with, and you're expected to sprawl and brawl this guy for a hard 15 minutes. I don't know about that. And if it's close, if it's close, if you do everything right and it is close, you still might get screwed on the scorecards. Hondo P. Barajal. Got to be the pick. Well, the thing is, like, his low volume kind of works in his advantage because it's in Brazil. It's like if he's got the backpack or if he's just, you know, controlling positions up against the cage, it's like the crowd's going to feed into that. Like, we know the Bra- the Brazilian fans, the Brazilian crowds are, like, probably goaded. Um, trying to think of any other place I'd even... Like, Australia's had some pretty good moments, obviously, in the last couple of years, but... Uh, yeah, once they start yelling Uva Morer and like Kyle Baraglio's like, I'm not killing anybody around here. Like, let's just cruise to a decision because I'm in complete control. Um probably ends up kind of happening. But yeah, I'll see like um I see like him round three is like plus eight hundred, but it's obviously early in the week. I don't think there's really props that I or there's not nearly enough books open that there's not really enough value. Uh, on there but um we'll see if i can get like the round three slash because like uh, yeah if he doesn't get the finish in round three i'm gonna be like i told myself i've told myself multiple times with this guy i'm like this guy has no killer instinct he's not trying to kill but avis could just get so tired that it just kind of falls into his lap late in the fight so we'll see if we get there if the price is right we will uh, moving on down, we got Armin Petrosian taking on Rodolfo Vieira. It's a straight pick, em, homie. Who you got? Yeah, I like Armin Petrosian. I like Armin Petrosian a lot. Now, is this where I end up losing a bunch of money this weekend, overvaluing a certain spot? Yeah, maybe. But uh, pff, I like him. I've always liked him. Now, the thing with Armin Petrosian is volume for days. Excellent striker. Excellent volume. Takedown defense, not great. And so that's going to be a problem against a guy like Rodolfo Vieira because in theory, he only needs the one takedown. He only needs a couple takedowns. Here's to me the thing, is that the guys he's been taken down from, three takedowns from that Kaloyan Kolev on Contender Series. Dude, that guy was a yoked-up Bulgarian who had about three, four minutes of cardio in him and got three takedowns. But Petrosian works his way back up. Gregory Rodriguez gave up two takedowns, gave up his back to Rodriguez, got his nose shattered, has Rodriguez on his back. Again, Excellent defense, excellent ability to scramble, excellent ability to get back up. Then he runs into K.O. Barajal, who's a human blanket. Fact. He outstruck Barajal 31-12. But the four takedowns and all the top control, he lost the fight. That's how you're going to need to beat this guy. You're going to need to blanket him because otherwise he fights for the entire duration of the fight, all 15 minutes. He throws a ton of volume. 
If you can't take him down, he's going to do that. AJ Dobson takes him down three times. Again, you're getting an Armin Petrosian that comes from a kickboxing base. Former K1 uh, kickboxer from Armenia. Got solid experience. The transition to MMA is going to be a little bit slower. But he's getting it. Just they match him up with a lot of wrestlers. Dobson gets the three takedowns. But you can see his hips look way better. You can see he's making improvements. And he's able to get back up. He always gets back up. Save for the one fight with KO. He lands 118 significant strikes. Fries his leg. Wins against Dobson. I think he was even money or slight dog status there. Cash is first. Super happy. They book him against Christian Leroy Duncan. We get him as a dog again. Twice we get him as a dog. Why? Because Duncan's undefeated. He looks appealing. He's got this really cool little karate style. He's in and out. He's got some good finishes. He's 1-0 in the UFC. But he's not proven. And the thing with Armin, Armin's going to fight you to the death. 1,500 minutes, man. This guy's not going anywhere. He's Armenian. He's toughest. Can't even drop F-bombs on the show anymore. <laughs> The guy's tough. The guy's tough. He's got an excellent chin. He's got excellent cardio. He throws up sickening amounts of volume. And all of that in itself are all things that Rodolfo does poorly and doesn't have. Doesn't have a great chin. Doesn't have excellent cardio. He's not going to fight you for a hard 15 minutes. He just happens to be excellent at jiu-jitsu. So his path relies on him on getting the takedowns. He needs to get the takedowns. But where is he showing you he's even good at takedowns, right? He's got takedowns over Dustin Stolfus. He got zero against Chris Curtis. He shot 20. He Nobody takes down. 20. Nobody no, takes no. down your Action boy Chris Man. Curtis, though. Action Man's a brick wall. Action Man's a brick wall. Once again, Action Man is a welterweight, does his best work at 170 pounds. Rodolfo shot 20 takedowns and went 0 for 20. So that at least has to be noted. Yeah. And then his fight with Cody Brundage, he looks god-awful. He looks awful in the fight. Brundage pulls guard on a guillotine choke. Why? No idea. And then just gives the fight away to Rodolfo Vieira. He's not super old, but I've not considered this guy like a fighter quite yet. Yes, he's a fighter. He's getting in there. He's fighting tough guys. He's taking a punch. He's not quit on himself. He's a fighter. But to me, he very much is a jiu-jitsu guy. If, it's, if this thing's a striking match, he's got no chance. If this thing's a wrestling match, his wrestling's really not all that great. He needs to rely on getting down Petrosian and either subbing him right away or he's going to have to get him down in all three rounds. The first round will be his best round because he'll be fresh, right? If he's going to get the takedown, it'll be early. If he's going to grab a quick submission, it's going to be early. If this thing lingers on and goes on, and I oh, can yeah. even hit a better plus money price tag on Petrosian, he is going to cook him, tire him, and maybe it's going to be a third round TKO or it's going to be a 29-28 with him winning the last two rounds. The judges got to get it fair, but they're not just going to blatantly rob somebody when they, there's a clear and obvious winner. Petrosian just got to go out there and be the clear and obvious winner. Nobody, nobody. Has just, I guess, Kaubarajo. That's that's the what you would have to replicate. Replicate exactly that. But I like Kao. I think Kao's going to be a legitimate contender. I think he's got a very bright future. Rodolfo's that jiu-jitsu guy that's doing some MMA. And I don't consider him a contender. I don't think that he beats guys beyond the Dustin Stolfuses of the world. And even in that fight, he didn't look all that good until he got the late submissions. So maybe I'm too harsh on him and too high on Armin Petrosian, but I'm legit high on Armin Petrosian, and I'm not that high on Rodolfo Vieira. And so when I see even money, slight plus money on Petrosian, depending on where you're at, mm -hmm. yeah, twist my arms some more, why don't you? I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just going to add a little bit of context for Rodolfo Vieira, though. Like, I'm, I actually think that Armin... The big question mark and where you will have your butt fully puckered is you said it already. It's like he's been taken down by a whole bunch of people. And you get taken down once by Rodolfo Vieira, 
that could just be that can just be it for you. His jujitsu is that good. So that is a is bit it? of a question mark for. Yeah, of course it is compared to anybody else that Armin got taken down from. Like he's not. He, he doesn't have anybody let of me, this level. Me, but but let me just ask you this, right? So his debut against Oscar Bachota, he took him down three times. And Oscar Bachota. No, no, he, he subbed him. Yeah, who's a black belt? That's fair. But he subbed him nine and a half minutes into the fight, and he got the fight down three times. Saberbek Safarov, total bum. He did submit him. On the second time, he got him down. So Safarbeck actually got back up the first time. I remember the fight. The Anthony Hernandez fight, he got four takes. Fluffy's got, he got great all the spots he wanted. Yeah, yeah, and I'll give him a pass on that one too. Fluffy's badass. But he, he got the four takedowns. He got the spots he wanted. He gassed out trying to get them. Dustin Stolfus, he got takedowns in the first. Yeah, uh, I don't think he got one in the first. Second and the third. Yeah, dude, that was such an ugly fight. He, he, he subbed him late in the third, but terrible fight. But he had gotten multiple takedowns prior to that. Chris Curtis, he never got him down. He lost. And then Brundage, Brundage did Brundage things where Brundage just took uh, him so down dumb. and gave him the win. After, yeah, yeah, I mean, they just booked Brundage for another fight. And I'm like, why? Why? Like, I would, I mean, if, if Rodolfo is able to get the fight to the mat, all I'm saying is that your butt is going to be puckered. It's going to be. It's going to be, be the highest be. level guy that you've seen in MMA that Petrosian has had to grapple with. That's the only question that I have. And I will give Rodolfo a little bit of credit. Against Chris Curtis, he shot 20 takedowns. I know he usually gasses, and he's had historic really, really big problems trying to make 185 pounds. He's a, he's a very, very strong, thick guy for the weight class. He, his cardio was okay, all things considered. Round two, he put up, like, 40 significant strikes. 26 in round three. Like, he actually did okay, all things considered. I think people expected him to gas even more, particularly because he shot for 20 takedowns there. So, his cardio was a little bit better in the Chris Curtis loss. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm Petrosian. Stuff takedowns. And it shouldn't be too, too competitive at all on the feet. There's just... And Chris Curtis is more of a boxer. Armin's got a whole, you know, a whole repertoire of weapons that he can throw at Rodolfo. So I'm with you. I like Petrosian. I will be betting Petrosian as a as a straight pick'em or wherever is the best price available to me at the time that I place the bet. All right, moving on down, we got Ishmael Bonfim taking on my boy Vince Pichel. Uh Bad Bonfim. He's a minus 465 favorite, whereas uh, From Hell, uh, Vince Pichel is plus 365. You know, we had a week off, Cody, in between fights. I saw a plus 385 out there, and I was just like, I'm not going to not back my boy Vince. Um, so I, I put a little Skrilla on uh, on Vince Pichel. I couldn't help myself, Cody. Um, I, he's old. He's 30. I'm going to – Halloween was yesterday, but I'm going to impersonate Cody for a second. He's 39 years old. Um, you know, he seems a little bit long in the tooth at this point in his career. I understand. Reconstructed bicep. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I like about him is he's going to go out there. He's going to give me 100% effort from the opening bell until until the the refs tell them to stop. Um and I'm th- I've I've never been too impressed with uh, Ishmael. There's no doubt in my mind. Ishmael is going to be a lot faster. It's going to be super super dangerous in round one. If this fight goes to decision, is Vince Michelle going to win in that scenario? 
there may not even be too much value on it, um, to be perfectly honest. But I threw a little bit on Vince Pichel because I may not have any opportunities, Cody. He's going to be retiring pretty soon. This may be my last shot with uh, from hell Vince Pichel. So I had to be there for it. I know that's not really like a really sound structural breakdown, but I'm just telling you that I bet a little bit of money on Vince Pichel. What's your take here? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, you've been the Pichel whisperer. He's had like 14 fights in the UFC. And you I got, got one 13 wrong. of them. Yeah, you got 13 of them right. You got one wrong. It happened to be the last one against Mark Madsen. Now, I'll admit, I thought he looked pretty good in the Madsen fight. He only got taken down three times against an Olympic silver medalist. Mm-hmm. Got a takedown of his own. Outstruck him 68 to 39. It just wasn't to be. And because it wasn't to be, it was like the magic in the universe is gone. Paul Shaughnessy is no longer the Pichel whisperer. So... I think you could get screwed on a similar type of decision where Michelle's going to go and work his hardest because he always does. And I think that's why he's an easy guy to like. He's an easy guy to get behind. He's going to go out there with the lunchbox and give you a workman type of performance every time to the best of his abilities. So like Michelle and Michelle's got a path of victory here. Bomb theme. You said bad bomb theme to break down. Mm-hmm. You're right. Comparatively, his brother's undefeated. Uh, he's got, you know, some losses in the mix. I, I guess suppose he is the bad bomb fiend, but there's a lot to like about the guy. He looked legit on the contender series against Naraman Abasov, who's a 35-fight veteran, a very proven guy. He looked legit, scored a knockdown, got tired a little bit as the fight went on, but it was a very high-volume high, high volume fight. Beats Terrence McKinney, again, a win that's aging quite well as McKinney continues his little bit, his uh, resurgence and his comeback. It's the fight with Benoit Saint-Denis. On paper, I give you a pass. Benoit Saint-Denis is legit. That's a tough fight. That's a big fight. But where I won't give him a pass is he gave up the easy takedown. And as soon as he got taken down, he was lost. And with Pichel, he's very physically strong. He will pursue the takedown. He's got a BJJ black belt. And if he can just make this a rugged, dirty fight, make the kid tired, take him into that second round, take him in the third round, score some takedowns, rack up some top control. I think he would be live. I think he would be live to win it. But we're in Thing is in Brazil. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. Brazil, he would have to like, not just keep it close and keep it tight. He'd have to go above and beyond and really put a grinding on this kid. And I think you can get a good plus money tag on him right now, but you'll be able to get a better plus money tag on him live in action. And at that point, you'll be able to make the decision. I lost the first round, or at least I lost a part of the first round. Maybe I feel good about it. Maybe Vince is starting to work his way back into it. Maybe there's some momentum starting to go on his side. And then you got to think, is he doing enough? to get that decision in Brazil. And if you think so, then yeah, I think you're going to get a much better live wager on him. Um, I will go ages though. Yeah, 39 years old. It, he, he fights so infrequently. Like we've been doing a show together for just under 10 years. I think we're 10 years in April, right? Mm-hmm. So almost 10 years we've been doing a show together. And this guy's got like 13 or 14 fights in the UFC. Like he averages about a fight, not even a fight and a half over the last decade. So I... The inactivity, the injuries, the surgeries, 39, going to enemy territory, taking on. Yeah, there you go. He'll be be 41. (laughs) He'll be 41 in less than a month. Going into enemy territory, hostile crowd, and he's going to have to work his ass off for 15. So possible, yes. Probable, no. And I try to go with the probable outcome, so. I will double down on the Bomb Fiend Brothers. It's all fair points. It's all fair points. War Vince. Uh, Renat Fakratinov takes on Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos. 
Vakratinov, a minus 350 favorite. Zaleski can be had for plus 280. believe that is the first Brazilian underdog we have on the card, Cody. What's just, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, this one likely, I see it's tough for me because Renat Fakradinov, not super high on the guy. He no? used to fight at middleweight on the, well, okay, let me get at it. Wasn't super high on the guy, right? Didn't really love his regional show experience. Fought at 185 pounds, looked very undersized, not all that physically strong, striking a little bit robotic and stiff. Wrestler, yeah, got that wrestling, got that Russian grappling, but not to the level that you think of when you think Russian wrestling, Russian grappling. Not calling him a fraud, just not high on him. Andreas Mikulidis, yeah, sure, he's going to be able to beat him, and he does. I don't even think he looked all that good. He spams takedowns against a guy that can't wrestle, sure. I bet Brian battle against him. And in the battle fight, he made battle look awful. Mm-hmm. Fighting off Killed his back foot the whole time, which battle does well. He just murders him. Hurt him with that big right hand. Dude's got some legitimate power at 170 pounds. Ragdolls him to the ground. If he, whatever he lacks in technique, physically he's very strong. And now I can't deny any of that stuff. But I'm not the smartest guy going, so I take Kevin Lee over him because I want him Prove a little more to me. Prove a little more to me. And Kevin's done. I think he's retired officially. It was obviously not a great spot to bet Kevin Leems coming off a terrible fight with Diego Sanchez. I wanted to believe that that plus money, there was some value in it simply because I wasn't sold on Fakradinov and he just murders him again. So is it low level competition? Yeah. Is it lower level competition? Yeah, maybe. And, but he's just been looking so physically strong in there, man. So with uh, Eliza Zaleski de Santos, him at his best, he's a problem. He's a problem for a lot of guys. He's very athletic. He's very explosive. He's got that knockout win over Sean Strickland way back in the day. A guy that's, you know, a current champion in the UFC. He's got that ability to make it a dog fight. But he's just been in so many wars, and he's getting older, but it's the wars, man. Every time he goes out there and competes, it's a lot of damage taken. It's a lot of damage thrown out. Two-fight winning streak, the Benoit Saint-Denis fight, that's three years ago now. He beats Benoit Saint-Denis in a crazy fight, crazy fight that aged really well. Benoit Saint-Denis' UFC debut on like three weeks' notice. Benoit Saint-Denis is a 55, so they take the fight on short notice up a weight class, and it's his debut. So aged well. And he, it was a crazy dog fight. But he tests positive, not due to that fight, but out of competition shortly after that fight. Takes it to your suspension. Comes back against Abubakar Abu Nurmagomedov. And then, yeah, to me, he looks so flat in that fight. The volume was gone. Those big explosive movements was gone. I'm not saying the juice robbed him of that stuff uh, and having to fight clean. It's like the two years. Because he was older and he had a lot of wear and tear. And whereas two years off seems like a good thing for his body, he just wasn't as explosive. Now, Abubakar, again, Dagestani wrestler and guy can legitimately wrestle, but he's not a super high-end wrestler. He's not a super high-level guy. He should have pursued that more. He should have gone with that more. He should have tried to push that avenue a little bit more, but he didn't. It was a relatively close fight. I thought Dos Santos won, but it was close. And he ends up winning a split decision. That version comes out against Renat Fakradinov. Fakradinov's a big boy, man. This is a legitimate welterweight who, in fact, used to fight at 185 back in the day. He's got that big right hand. So as much as Dos Santos can land the flashy strikes and you know can can land a couple of good shots, he backs you up. He builds some momentum. If he gets clipped by any one of these bombs, it's not going to go good for him. But beyond that, I think it's Fakradinov's ability to just muscle him to the ground when need be, mix in those takedowns and grind them. Are they going to screw the Russian guy in Brazil? Potentially, potentially. 
But again, I got to go with who's the better fighter. And Fakradinov is on his way up. He's proven me wrong. I will pick him. Buyer beware. If it, now I am jumping on the Fakradinov bandwagon, he's about to get spinning hook kicked in the face and knocked out. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just the way it goes, dude. I faded him twice and now I'm trying to make money on him. It, it probably won't go well. If you're looking for a live underdog, for my dollar, I would say Dos Santos is certainly on the list of guys. But as I've tried to do this angle before on Fakradinov, he's made me look foolish. And I think he's got the ability to make me look foolish again. So Saturday night, go do it in our favor this time because I'm on your side. And uh, yeah, again, use those bigger, powerful strikes. Close that distance. Don't let him just dance around from the outside. Force the issue. Dos Santos a few years ago is going to make it a dogfight and will fight you tooth and nail. The guy that we saw the last time out after the layoff, after the positive test, after the injuries, I don't know if that guy beats Renat Fakradinov. So he will be my bet. We'll take the Russian fighter. And if we're going with the angle of Rush Brazilians winning in Brazil, this one makes me nervous for sure. But I think yeah. he should win. I like Renat decision, which goes against my Brazilians in Brazil thing and going to the scorecards. But I think the takedowns are just going to be there for Renat over and over and over. And it'll be kind of like, well, you can't. You know, if a guy spends that much time off of his back and is getting controlled and dominated, it's going to be really, really hard for somebody to, you know, you know, you know what a, a, a acai bowl kind of looks like, Cody. It looks like a big purple bowl of shit. Like it, nobody's going to be putting any any acai bowls uh, when it's just so dominant. You know, five, seven takedowns, five takedowns in some of his fights, like. The Brian Battle fight is a great example. It's just like, well, Brian Battle landed three significant strikes. It's like, if you have something like that that happens in this fight, it's just like, well, there's really no way to screw him because it was just so one-sided. You have to go 30-27. Renat by decision plus 200 is available right now. We'll see when other books open up. That's, that's probably my plan of attack for that fight, to be perfectly honest. Moving on down, we've got Daniel Marcos taking on Victor Hugo. Daniel Marcos is a minus 240 favorite. Hugo, who fought a month ago on Contender Series, can be had for plus 200. Um, wow. So, yeah, Willie Cat. That was going to be fun. Daniel Marcos versus Willie Cat was going to be an absolute banger here. I mean, Hugo didn't show too, too much on Contender Series. He showed that his grappling, his submission skills are are very, very good, or at least, you know, very, very opportunistic, was able to find the submission in round two. Not very much volume on the feet. It was kind of like a, a nothing burger type of round one. Daniel Marcos on the other side. Um, I, I mean, I may be a little bit biased because I, uh, I had Davy Grant by decision. I had Davy Grant money line. I was all over that one, but it's like, I felt, felt pretty good. And I usually, when I score, when I score fights, I'm usually pretty honest with it. It's like, if I lose, I, I usually actually kind of like look at it from like a worst case scenario. And I thought, I, I thought I got robbed a little bit on that one to be perfectly honest. So how's this one shaking out? Like Marcos looked okay against Davy Grant, but he kind of got exposed. His volume wasn't exactly there. Um, and then now he's taking on, uh, do we have like big, do we know much about Marcos's grappling ability? Because the only thing I really know about Hugo is that like this guy will submit you if you have any holes. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this fight? 
Yeah, this one's interesting again because with Victor Hugo fights in the Contender Series, he's 30 years old and he's got 27 pro fights at the time. What was he, 23 and 4? 23 wins. Yep. And his nickname is Striker. His striking look awful. <laughs> it horrible. Awful, dude. Oh, oh, you're terrible. This is a 23. Sorry, he's a 27 That's how he gets fight you. veteran. That's time. how he gets you. You're like, oh, this guy's nickname that's is Striker. And then yeah, you show up and he's just like, ah. You're like, oh my god! I didn't, tra- I didn't train jujitsu for this whole camp. I just looked at his topology. Yeah, and he's got eight wins by knockout, nine wins by submission, seven wins by decision. So he's super well rounded. Yeah, but like, yeah, to what level has he been fighting guys? Some of them have decent looking records, but when you watch the tape on it, it's like it's a lower level Brazilian regional show fight. He's thirty, and he's almost got thirty wins. It's kind of unheard of. So to see him on the contender series. Uh, fight makes it into the second round. He had landed nine significant strikes. He didn't look like a striker. Everything's super loopy and wild and like one at a time. And so with Marcos, we think of him as a high volume guy. That's why I bet him against Davy Grant, which he, yeah, he probably did lose the Davy Grant fight. Super close. People are very pissed off about it. But Davy Grant's a good fighter. And, and again, Davy Grant went out there and cleanly outworked him. And what Marcos did is he just sat on the outside. He just sat there and he stared at him. I hadn't seen that from him. I thought he was one of these strong, hungry Peruvian fighters that's very, very strong, strong as a bull, and also going to go out there, going to slug it with you. On the contender series, he fought Brandon Lewis. Brandon Lewis is a better wrestler than Victor Hugo. And he's arguably, nah, I wouldn't say he's a better grappler, but he's got some okay grappling. Two for 13 on takedowns. So in that fight, it's like Marcos's takedown defense held up. He looked pretty solid. He his take his his hips strong. And again, these Peruvian fighters are very physical. Look good there. The fight was Simon Oliveira. He gets the second round knockout. He had landed fifty three significant strikes through less than it was a less than it was the under one and a half under one and a half hits, and he had landed fifty three significant strikes. You want to talk about volume? He was on pace to put up over a hundred. You know, he was on pace to just. He's throwing down in that fight. Cardio looked good. Now you know he's got some takedown defense. He's physically strong. He's got solid cardio. He's got good volume. He's got solid power. This guy looks legit. And Davy Grant totally exposes him. So, so yeah, can Victor Hugo go and do the exact same thing? Well, he'd have to outwork him. And it's not that Marcos has low volume. He just had low volume in that last fight. So I'm hoping his coaches were able to go back to the drawing board and say, listen, man, this is what you do best is putting the pace on your opponent. You're, you have excellent cardio. He hit Davy Grant with some solid shots that rocked him. There just wasn't enough of it. Hugo, meanwhile, name striker, has 24 wins, but if this thing's a striking match, I think he's up Shit's Creek. He needs to get it to the ground. I don't think his wrestling's all that good. I can't honestly say it's any better than Brandon Lewis's, and he struggled to take down Marcos. So Marcos should be the rightful favorite. He should win this fight. He almost shit in the apple pie the last time. He did damn near everything in his in his capabilities to shit in the apple pie last time and he still got the job done this to me is a step down in competition he's got to go and, and and make it look as such so i will take the shot on marcos but uh yeah, yeah again i hopefully hopefully this is something the coaching staff was able to fix back in the gym and that we'll see a return of the better version of them. all makes sense to me bro all makes sense to me moving on down we've got Elvis Brenner taking on Kanan Krushevsky. Uh, Brenner is a minus 160 favorite. Krushevsky, who's coming in on super, super short notice, just kind of got you know thrown into this matchup, I believe, yesterday. Um, it can be had for plus 140. Krushevsky was on 
this season of Contender Series. Got a, a nice little first-round finish, completely dominated, but that's what happens on Contender Series. This is a tough matchup for him. Uh, Brenner was who was supposed to... Brenner was supposed to take on somebody else already on this Yeah, card. Esteban Ribovics. Which was going to be a banger fight, too. Like, the thing about this card is, like, I don't love it from a betting perspective, but it's like, I love the fight. Like, there's a lot of really, like, entertaining... Um, good fighters that we're going to have. We're going to be talking about Cody for the next three years. Uh, a lot about a lot of, a, a lot about a lot of the guys that are here. Um, I don't know, man. Brenner is kind of, you know, showed up in the UFC and uh, everyone kind of thought, um, you know, that he was, that he wasn't really anything special, that he was showing up and he was not going to, you know, really amount to anything and made it made it super, super hard on, on Tahugov. They kind of thought he was, you know, getting brought in to lose to a Russian uh, with like a bunch of, you know, the Russian buddies all on the same card and made that fight pretty hard on him. And then Guram fight kind of shows it's like this guy putting in all that time with uh, Charles Oliveira. It's like he's made, he's made him, you know, iron sharpens iron type of thing. This guy's a problem. It's like... His grappling's good enough to keep it up on the feet, and his striking is certainly on point. Um, he was a much bigger favorite, I believe, or was he much of a bigger favorite against uh, Ribovich? Not entirely. No, it was a slight. He was the favorite, but it was uh, like minus. It was about the same, actually. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that. Is are you really high on this Krushevsky guy? Because I was expecting short notice Krushevsky to kind of step in and. I was expecting this to be wider for Brenner, but uh, minus 160, it kind of just lingers as well. So they're basically saying that Ribovich and Krushevsky are all equal. I don't know if I agree with that, particularly on short yeah. notice. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't really care for Kanan all that much. Like, he's 32 years old, so it's a more refined version, and he is a potent finisher. So exciting, very fun guy to watch. I just I don't know that I really want to back him with my money. Into that tune, I actually did fade him on the Contender Series against that Dylan Mantello, and he killed Dylan Mantello. Good. Who just never really got into it. But again, that's what he's able to do. I think he can get a quick jump on you. Both of his wins prior to that is actually a fourth-round finish and a fifth-round finish, so... No indication that he's going anywhere, that he's gassing out. I just think he's a little bit fragile. And if you can fire back, if you can take his punishment and deliver it back, I think he's going to fold. The way he wins is he generally has his way with you. Builds up confidence, good to go. The loss on his record that Alexei Matviak, the Finnish kid, uh, first round knockout. So again, if you can kind of put the fire back on him, I think it's going to be a problem. thing with Brenner is, yeah, dude, Brenner was taking on a, a fat overweight to Hugov who was moving up from 45 to 55 and still missed weight, <laughs> came in at like 158 in a bit. It was a close fight. It was a split decision. It was in Abu Dhabi. Tuhugov jumped the cage to punch one of McGregor, to try to punch McGregor in the face for Habib. In He's Perth. in a circle. That was in Perth, oh, Australia. Was in Perth? Was it? Yeah, that was, yeah, that's right. it was Volkanovsky. Right, right, right. That's a good point. Anyways, I think the fight could have gone either way. They gave it to Brenner. It was a close fight. He cashed as a sizable enough underdog, but he's got that fight in him. And then his fight with Guran Kudelitz, he lost the first two rounds. First round, most definitely loses. Mm -hmm. Second round, it's like he just, he's hanging there. He's still there. That's his toughest thing is he's tough. He can take that beating. And then as he 
hangs into the fight, he's going to start to give it back. And yet he's a potent finisher. He's got some decent power. So probably get a better price because you can bet him as a favorite right now. But Kanan's going to bring the fire early. I think he's going to bring the heat early. He's going to try to beat him to the punch, land those big shots, trip him up to the ground, take the back, make something work. And the longer this thing goes, Brenner's been in bad spots. Brenner's been hit with heavy shots. The longer he stays into this thing, even though Kanan's got a fourth round and a fifth round finish, even though his cardio looks okay, I think at some point Brenner fires back, clips him with something, hurts him, and puts him away. I'm way more tempted to just bet this thing in the live market because I got to make a pre-fight pick. Could go with Brenner. The short notice of it, it kind of what seals it for me. He's taking on, he's had a full camp against a legit guy. The, the only thing that pains me a little bit is Ribovix was one of my dog picks. He was plus 125. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I thought he won. And now I'm flipping to betting Brenner. Yeah. So like, I'm not fully sold on it. I'm not fully convinced on it, but it's short notice. I have to make a pick. I, th- I think he wins. I mean, yeah, Ribovich was going to be a, a bet for me as well. So, Dude, he's going to fight for your dollar, and he's got all of the skills to win that fight, dude. Coup elites just don't gas, and Ribovich's got solid cardio. Anyways, but we were not going to see it, so oh well. Is what it is. Maybe they'll rebook it down the line. Moving on down, we got Vitor Petrino taking on Modestus Bukakis. Minus 240 for Petrino. Bukakis can be had for plus 200. Um, I kind of think Vitor Petrino is the real deal. I think this is like one of the better prospects, particularly at 205 pounds um, in the UFC. Um, he's shown some finishing ability, uh, some recent fights. He's kind of shown that he can he can drag you a little bit deeper into fights as well. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's not to like about this guy. He seems to be improving uh to imitate you a bit he's only 26 he's entering Mm -hmm. the prime of his career right now um seems more unfair than me um uh you know up and rise or up and coming prospect i know that bukakis has went on a bit of a run after you know getting cut by the ufc after the khalil roundtree you know front front knee kick or whatever that you know absolutely injured him he had to go back to the regional scene for a couple fights and then he comes back he's got you know decision wins over Pauga and Pedro but I don't know I think Petrino kind of has the full package um I think he's a worthy favorite in this position what what are your thoughts on on this matchup yeah, yeah, I'm going to agree. The one thing is with, with Modestus Bokaukas, it's easy to just be like, oh man, he sucks, but he's got that career resurgence, so we got to give him a little bit of respect because the guy that fought his first go-around in the UFC gets killed here. The guy that we've seen since he went back to Cage Warriors, won the title, came back to the UFC, solid win over Tyson Pedro, god-awful win over Zach Poga. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's actually shown he's a very competent fighter. He moves well. The thing is, is that he's been relying on the fact that his opponents are just gassing and falling away, is that they don't have that deep cardio. His fight with Chuck Campbell, Chuck Campbell's doing excellent in the early bit, but it's a title fight. It goes later. In the fourth round, Chuck's completely gassed. Medeusis works his way back in. He gets the win. The Tyson-Pedro fight, he gets taken down in the first round. Tyson-Pedro had an excellent first round against him. Tyson Pedro gasses. Once that happens, Modestus works his way back into it. Zach Pauga fight was an interesting one because it was a terrible fight. But of course, by the numbers, and the numbers don't tell the whole fight, by the numbers, he lost the fight. I mean, he got mm-hmm. outstruck and he got taken down. Two and a half minutes of top control given up. Outstruck 67 to 56, and he given up the takedown. Pauga, I believe, cut from the UFC. Looked awful most of his fights in the UFC. 
I don't I don't know, man. Like, is Modesca's back or is he a good gatekeeper to guys that are fraudulent within the division? That could potentially be it. When I think about Vitor, Vitor is long, 77-inch reach on him, 26 years old, super explosive, very, very strong. And he's got excellent power in terms of his uh, striking ability. So you could very much see like a Jimmy Crew fight again where he just goes out there and smashes him. You know, blasts him, big shots, drops him, puts him down. But beyond that is that he's physically strong and he can get the takedowns. He can ragdoll you to the ground. His fight with Anton Turkali, not a great fight. He got seven takedowns in that fight. He gave up five, but tons of transitions. Cardio checked out. So if Modestus is relying on an opponent that's going to fade away, Petrino's young, cardio looks decent, and he's going to be getting better as he gets more experience under his belt. So now he can win if the fight stays standing with that superior power. If the fight hits the ground, Again, he's got very, very good top control. He's very, very physically strong. And I think that he could just neutralize Modestus Pakaukas. So backing him up against the cage, Pauga had a lot of um, effectiveness with that. I think that he could do the same thing, only he's going to drop down. He's going to get the takedown. If he's on top, we're money. If it's standing, yeah, just don't get mm-hmm. outworked. Don't let he your probably would get outworked if it's entirely fighting at range. But he probably yeah. he has the power <laughs> advantage, but he's probably going to lose in volume. Yeah, yeah, I could. I, you could see that because against Modestus moves well laterally, and he's just going to be mm-hmm. throwing out a lot of range fighter type of strikes. But I do have faith that Petrino is able to find the target again, seventy-seven inch reach, find the target, m- land with those damaging blows, mix in those takedowns, rinse and repeat. Minus two fifty, depending on where you're looking at. It's, it's a tough enough price tag, but there's a lot of big price tags on this card. So who's that guy that's medium value that's going to help juice some things up? Yet yeah, Petrino might definitely be an option. Bacaucus. Has been hitting as a plus money underdog, is a capable fighter, but he has to now overcome going to Brazil, taking on a tough Brazilian guy, and needing to soundly outwork him in order to get this decision. Probably easier said than done. Yeah. All right. This one's an interesting one moving on down. We got uh, Denise, Denise Gomes taking on Angela Hill, minus 140 for Gomes, plus 120, the underdog for Angela Hill. I was on Denise Gomes. She was plus 285 against Yasmin Wariki. I didn't expect her. I just thought that she could make it ugly. I thought she would make it relatively close. I didn't think she was going to go out there and get a first-round knockout. Like, we had seen Wariki have questionable chin, which goes against our Mexican, all Mexicans have great chins uh, theory, for sure. But, um... But yeah, it was it was it was it was definitely not the path of victory that I expected in there. I just thought that she was, you know, at plus two eighty five. I thought this is going to be a, a dog fight. I really do like Denise Gomes, but now this is a significant step up in experience, and she's taking on Angela Hill, who has been around the block and back a million times. Has literally fought the who's who of the division over the course of her very lengthy career. I mean, her basically her entire career has been in the UFC. And she's capable of putting up like 180 or 180 significant strikes in a three-round fight. Um, I am leaning towards Angela Hill to pull off the upset, plus 120, as the underdog here, Cody. Um, I think Denise Gomes could land the more damaging strikes, the more... You know, awe-inspiring. The judges may be more impressed with her strikes, but it's like it ain't easy to get Angela Hill out of there. Literally, the best of the best haven't been able to really do it. Um, 
you know, Randall Marcos got a submission win in 2019 against her. Other than that, there's really she just doesn't really get finished. She got subbed by Rose Namajunas as well in 2015. Um, nobody knocks her out. She's got great durability, great volume, greasy, greasy, close uh, women's fight, but Angela Hill has a lot more in her portfolio. So I got to go dog her pass here. What about you? I'm tempted, dude. I am extremely tempted. I think it falls into Pat Mayo's uh, model, where it's just like blindly take the the underdog here plus money. I'm in, dude. I'm so close to being in anyways, but I got this nagging little thing behind me that's being like, do not do it. Angela Hill could officially be done. Now, if I had, if there was a gun to my head and I needed to take three underdogs, I would list her as one of the better underdogs on the card. I know it's plus 125, it's short money, but I, I would say she's one of the better underdogs on the card. Here's to me the problem. Angela Hill is just very active. She's always been very active. She goes out there, she scraps pretty much anybody, everybody, takes fights on short notice, takes five-round main events, has fought in former world title challengers, former world champions, fought, fought in everybody. She's literally fought the who's who. She fights a whole lot. And now she's 38 years old. She's just shy of her 39th birthday. I think it's starting to accumulate with her. Now, you mentioned Legendary Chin, and you're right. This girl can take one hell of a punch. But that in itself is kind of the problem. Her fight with Amanda Lemos, Amanda just landed a clean knockdown in the second round. Hurt Hill bad. She survives that fight, does not get knocked out. But she got knocked down hard. That fight was less than two years ago, right? It was in December 2021. Less than two years ago. And she fought four more times after that. This is her fifth fight after that. Of those fights, Lupita Godinez rocked her bad as well in the first round. And also landed 92 significant strikes on her. Her fight with Emily Ducote, sure, Ducote just landed 71. She's not much of a power puncher. But then it's the Mackenzie Dern fight. I gave her a legitimate chance in the Mackenzie Dern fight because if she can stuff Mackenzie's fairly weak wrestling, then it's a striking match. And in what world does Angela Hill lose to Mackenzie Dern in a striking match? But she did. And not only that, she got hella rocked early, man. So if Dern's her Dern's got legitimate power, like Dern, power for the division. Post post uh, post divorce, Dern is like a new mythologic myth, mythological creature, though. Because like not, she not seems wrong, really fo- more focused on her career right now than ever before. Like her and her cardio is on point, which was a problem before. And Hills, Hills, her grappling looked pretty good in that fight. Like she got taken down, she got controlled, she got put in some bad spots, but she did not get submitted either. So it goes back to your. It, it's an attribute or an attestament to that great cardio, or sorry, that great durability that we talked about. She's not getting knocked out. She's not getting submitted. But to me, the volume, the the sheer amount of damage is racking up because she fights mm-hmm. three to four times a year. She's always in these dog fights. They usually go 15 minutes. And that, that durability is starting to evade her. So what you have here is a near 39-year-old Angela Hill against, is she 23? Is Gomez 23? Like She's a problem. Best, better to fight her right now than to fight her two, three years from now because it's not going to get any better for Hill and it's going to get a hell of a lot better for Denise Gomez. But at what point do both of their paths cross? They're going to cross on Saturday night, but, you know, who's still got that advantage? So Hill at her best. Yeah, okay, Hill at her best. She's got the volume. She's got that that veteran savviness. She can make this a a very good fight. But I don't know that she's at her best, man. She's giving up speed. She's giving up athleticism. She's going over to Brazil. If she gets hit with that big shot early and it rocks her early, she's down around. Now she needs to fight her way back into it second and third. I am sneakily suspicious that Denise Gomez's cardio is not that good. 
her she's won her last two fights fairly early. I could I could see it. But then I go back to her fight on the contender series against the Ravana Amanda. She lands 103 significant strikes in that round, lands 40 significant strikes in the third round alone. Ah, she's 23 years old. You know what I mean? Her, her cardio is probably not her biggest issue. So this is a big spot for her. She needs to fight smart. But I, but I honestly think she could put it together and get the job done. So I will take Denise Gomez. And what? Rayon Dos Santos, who fought on contender series against her, is the current champion at Straw or Atomweight? Atomweight champion uh, for Invicta. So she's kind of bounced she's back not, after that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, I bet her against uh, Jillian DeCourcy. That's the only reason I know that. I, I watched that fight. And she, she had a really good performance in that fight. Credit where credit's due. All right, moving on down. We got Eduardo Mura taking on my girl, Montserrat Nectat Ruiz. Um, can, tell me about Mora, and can she stop a head and arm, uh, head and arm throw, Cody? Because... That's all my girl Nectat's got, and uh, this one's got, like, weird, like, under is, like, juiced, minus 160. Like, is Mora, I didn't look into her yet, is she some sort of, like, legit top-end prospect that's just going to absolutely kill her? Because I can see it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think she's pretty legit. It's a massive favorite status here, so I think women's MMA, debuting fight, you know, it's your UFC debut. Big spot, you know, fairly fairly good card right in Brazil. A lot of things could go wrong in theory at this money line. But yeah, man, I don't know. She looks pretty physical to me. You look at her, she's got excellent top game, excellent Brazilian jiu-jitsu, very, very physically strong, fairly good striking as well. Uh, I would say that Monstro Ruiz has got the head and arm throw. If she was able to land that head and arm throw, which I don't see happening, from there, what do you go to? Do you just hold on to it for the entirety of the round? Like the scrambles are going to occur the scrambles are going to favor Mura. She's got solid base. They call her Ronda, I imagine, because of the judo. I imagine because of that physicality. But, yeah, she's undefeated for a reason. They're building her up. I thought on the contender series she looked really legit. It's another quick finish. I'd like to see somebody extend her out a little bit. But they don't need to. I mean, everything she does is clean. Um, comes from a fighting family. Got resources behind her. I think she's a legitimate enough prospect. 29, what you're going to get is... A, a more advanced skill set, right? They're not a 22, 23 year old prospect who I know we're betting a few of them on the card. This Mora's a lot further along in that. So I think Ruiz is up. Shit's Creek, man. You're not just going to win the fight on the one move. She no. beat Velizma's with it, but really Cheyenne Velizma still almost won that fight. It was not a great fight. And she just did the same thing over and over. If that one move doesn't work here, which I don't see it working. I don't know where else she wins it. Her striking looks stiff and robotic. She's not super comfortable. Doesn't have the volume. She does have that grittiness and that tenacity to her. She could go out there and try to make it as much of a, a dirty fight as she could. But in the end, I mean, she's giving up big striking advantage, big ground advantage. She gets taken down, not going to go good. If it stays standing, not going to go well. And again, it's in Brazil. So I can't get behind Ruiz whatsoever. The pick is 100%. Got to be Eduardo Mura. Again, it's just that minus 600 price tag. It's it's at, it's at what point is there value in this? There really isn't. Do you auto-fade it? Pat would say yes. He's had a lot of success doing that in the past because you only got to hit every so often. Yeah. But to, to seal the deal for me, Mura was going to take on So Yul Kim. So Yul Kim pulled out. It was like six weeks ago, so it wasn't like it was yesterday or no means. But Montserrat Ruiz, that, call, that phone rings. You know, they're cutting a whole lot of people off the roster they call and say we need to go to brazil on 
six weeks to you do it. It's gonna be the best version. He's gonna be beyond in the spot. So because I can't have any faith on that, I gotta go with Mora. Do you put Mora on the top ticket? No. But is she gonna end up on the second or third line? Very likely. Yeah, no, that all kind of makes sense to me, bro. Um, it, the biggest problem for her is that this Mora has great submission skills. That, that's what happened in the Amorim fight. It's like, yeah, that's great. You get the head and arm throw. You get onto top control. And then she got reversed twice. It's just like, okay, well, so then when you're like, the only the only reason why she won the Vlismas fight is because she actually had slightly better grappling than Vlismas and was able to use that that maneuver over and over and over again. But it's like... If you're if you're taking on somebody with superior grappling and your only move is to get, you know, the the head and arm throw and to hold like a north south type of position basically on somebody, uh, that better grappler is going to scramble, is going to find your back, is going to find a submission to make it get back up onto the feet. Uh, I will not be backing uh, Montserrat Ruiz in this fight. Uh, Mora. Mora, we'll see. Mora, Mora, maybe by by submission. I haven't even looked at the props for this fight. Uh, what are what is the number on that? We've got Mora sub. It's only one place has it so far. It's plus one sixty five, which is probably the most likely path of victory. But we'll wait for more shops to open up before we take uh, before we even really consider it. Uh, finally, we got D1, Mark Diacasey taking on Cali Fernandez. Minus 170 for Diacasey, plus 150 for Fernandez. Who you got here? Yeah, I got to go with Diacasey. Uh, enemy territory, all that jazz. I get it. Cali Fernandez, he, he strong like shoot-to-box kid. I could see him having some success. The thing is, is that I think he'd be running on fumes, man. Like, he seems very expl- explosive, but he's young and he's inexperienced. And everything he does, he's doing at 100. His striking, not all that good. He's got one shot at a time. He doesn't look all that comfortable. He's not one of these dynamic Nova Yunyao strikers. He just, you know, heavy grappler, uh, five minutes of cardio, going to try to push the pace on you. He had fought low, lower level competition. He loses his LFA debut, this Luis, this Luan Sardinia. In that fight, it's like, again, it goes to decisions. So it stretches out. And after the first round, I thought he looked gassed, man. He's running on fumes. He drops the fight. I think he took year full year off, came back, and he's won his last two, both for LFA. Again, kick to the body, minute 28 against this undefeated kid. Not bad, dude. Kid's explosive. Kid's 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 got that big that big sting. I guess I don't think his strike is very good for the record. Very next one, he goes out and he gets a head kick. Forty five seconds, boom. So maybe the year away, he's been working on his striking. Maybe maybe he gets that that one quick shot. But I don't think there's any real substance in the longer this thing goes. He's strong, sure, but I think the more he uses that strength, the more it's going to lead to his demise. Dia Casey at his best, super serviceable. They call him D one Dia Casey because he can go out and push the pace, get eight or nine takedowns in a fight solid as far as his stand-up goes he's got a nasty little jab on him long accurate got a good good low calf kick moves well it's that he doesn't like to get into the frying pan mm. he doesn't like these greasy exchanges he doesn't like when the fight starts to go against him there's been really no moments where he's faced any real adversity and come back and got the job done um, he can neutralize some guys in certain spots, but for the most part, I, I, I don't know. And now he's, you know, he's a head coach at a gym. I think knew some MMA owns a piece of the gym. Shout out to those guys. 
kind of a head coach, two fight losing streak. You know, writing's a little bit on the wall. He needs to get back to that wrestling. He needs to get back to that wrestling big time. But against Michael Johnson, he failed to utilize it. And then his last fight against Joel Alvarez, headbutt leads to the Darce choke, but it's not like he looked good prior to that. So again, I think you have to taper off your 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 expectations. Now, this money line is not bad. It's not out of it's not crazy mm-hmm. or no means. They're factoring in that they're not certain about Mark Diaz Casey either. But what I think he could bring in this fight is that he generally is good at extending out way better opponents than this, getting them into some deeper waters. And I think the longer that you can bring Cowie Fernandez into you know second round, third round, the more he'll start to tire. In terms of the striking, yes, Fernandez has got that big explosive technique early, but that jab low kick will work very effectively for Mark Casey. Set him up, be smart, play to the outside, let this kid overcommit. When he does, Mark Casey gets the takedown. Makes in the takedowns with the jabs and the low kicks over 15 minutes and hope the judges score it in your favor. First fight on the card, so if things were to blow up, you could always rebuild. And I'm not going to put Casey high up anyway, so it's not like you'd have to rebuild anything in your core. Um, but I think there's some value in him in that he's fought in Joel Alvarez, Michael Johnson, mm-hmm. Rafael Alves, Rafael Faziv, Lando Venata, Nazrat Hakpras, Dan Hooker, Jakar Close, leaps and bounds. Carlos Fernandez is eight and one, couple wins on 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 Fight Pass over the last two and a half years. He's got two and a half minutes of cage time. This money line is not bad, dude. So, so yeah, I, I'll I'll take the Casey. I took some like minus one forty five, and then at another book took some minus one thirty nine. I mean, I'm limited limited at the go. place that the minus one thirty nine. Um, it's still available actually as we speak right now, but it would have been a much bigger bet if I didn't think that Dia Casey is a bit of a bit of a he, that Michael Johnson fight really annoyed me, right? It's just yeah. like you are losing the boxing matchup here. And it's just like he tried to <laughs> get, secure a couple takedowns early in round one and kind of half-assed, you know, went for, for some takedowns in like round two and three, but like really never committed to that game plan and seemed like resigned to the fact it's just like, well, I'm going to lose a decision. It's like if I didn't think that that is in him, that he, he was just kind of coasting out there. You know what I mean? He really didn't press. Michael Johnson as and really try to win that fight that was kind of annoying for me and that's what I that's why I'm not making like a full full type of wager on Mark Diacasey here just when times get tough he just kind of he kind of just lets he kind of just lets it happen so I have money on him but I mean yeah everything that you kind of said I agree with and think that he could like utilize the wrestling here and make it look really really easy some of his best performances why we gave him the nickname d1 d casey um he should be able to utilize that here this kid ends up stuffing a takedown early keeps it at range yeah i just don't want to become over invested in a guy that like when plan a doesn't work out he kind of just coasts that that's why he doesn't kind of get like the full throttle full bet from me, but uh, I do have some money on him. The bets that I have and, this and, week, and being sorry, and being in Brazil will go against him as well because in his last two wins against Slava Claus, he landed 17 significant strikes, 11 takedowns, yeah. 17 significant strikes over 15, and then the one over Demir Hadzvik, 13 significant strikes landed over 15 minutes. So the judges are down with wrestling and top control. Yeah, you he wins those fights all day, and he did. He 30 27 those guys. 
if you're in Brazil and the crowd's booing you and telling you to die and you land 15 significant strikes, homie throws a few elbows off his back. I don't know. I don't know. It shouldn't be that way. And I'm hoping it's not that way. But right. it, like you said, worse. that's that's what prevents you. Yeah, we've seen way worse. You come to expect way worse. And so it, it causes you to put a little bit of pause before you jump in on something like a Marquia Casey bet in yep. Brazil. Yeah. So I have I bet the Casey considering Angela Hill Renat decision plus two hundred or up. Uh, we'll see where 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 other shops open up at. And I obviously for the culture have some money on Vince, but it's not a card that I really love from a betting perspective. That may change over the course of the week if like more props open up. And you know value or you know certain books have a lot of my game is like just like. You know, having access to a lot of different books and shopping, finding like outliers at certain places. So, yeah, we kind of have like an idea, but yeah, not a card that I love from a betting perspective this week. Hit them with the PRP, Cody. Yeah, I'm going to echo those sentiments, but we've had cards like that in the past and the PRP's hit. So, unfortunately, you just got to do the damn thing. We are going to go with Jelton Almeida. We're going to go with Gabriel Bonfim. Uh, Rodrigo, I wanted to make May's dog number one, but I'm not going to. So Rodrigo Nascimento somewhere on the list. Kao Barahao, Armin Petrosian is dog number one. Ishmael Bomfim, Elvis Brenner, uh, Marco Daniel Marcos, Hanat Farkadino, Vitor Petrino. Denise Gomez is basically even money. Not a dog, unfortunately, though. Eduardo Mura and Mark Casey. So I got one dog. Ribovix was going to be two dogs. You know, and an even money play on 13 fights. Is that enough? Probably not. But again, you go historically and you look at these cards in Brazil, the Brazilians romp, dude. Mm -hmm. They look really good. I'm not making any jokes about the testings any different because it's probably not. But like they tend to look really good and the crowd gets behind them and it tends to go in their favor. So there's been a lot of these cards where it's like 11 favorites hit, two dogs hit. I'm trying to zone in on which dog. I don't got anything big. Even my Armin Petrosian bet, most books got him at like minus 105, plus 105. Like that's probably more of an even money bet. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't tell you, I bet no dogs on this card. So he's my dog of the week. <laughs> uh, again, but who <laughs> I knows? Mean, he's not on the card anymore. Yeah, <laughs> he's so even money. Is he uh, even an under, like, a, is he a favorite anywhere here? Let me look across the board. Petrosian. You can probably find some book. P-E-T-R-O. Uh, my he's the favorite. Pick him. Um, your book, your particular book has a plus one oh five right now. Um, minus one oh seven on both sides. Yeah, it's uh, he's actually slight, slight favorite. But I suppose what the book that you typically look at, he is minus one oh five. It's probably yeah, gonna become minus say... one fifteen, buddy. So right. you better hop on that. Quick. I know. And here's the thing, right? Jelton Almeida is going to be top ticket. He's up there. Gabriel Baumfeem is going to be fairly high up there. Ishmael Baumfeem is going to be fairly high up there. Not top ticket. I can't go against your boy Vince like that. But, you know, they're minus 500s. They're minus 600s. That all, that gives you nothing. We're not Fakhardinov. Don't feel great at 350, but he's going to be played up there. Vitor Petrino, 225. Nice. Kao Barajal, 275. Not great. Not great. But at least they're not 5 to 6 to 1 favorites. Mura, she's a 6 to 1 favorite. Th those guys right there, if they if that core six or seven, I guess, do what they're supposed to, it's plus four hundred. Then you just add that one Armin Petrosian and you get plus nine hundred. That's where the money would come from. But again, wh which one of those big favorites shit in the apple pie? Yeah, on the table, on the table for sure. Hopefully, uh, you just bad gotta try to mitigate. 
yeah, yeah. Hopefully in your case, should. bad bomb fiend. Hopefully and he drops a big me, acai bowl all over top, all over it. He could. He looked so out of water the second the fight hit the ground. And I think he tapped. Let me just make sure because uh, I, I remember it live. I was like, oh my God, dude. And then beyond that, it's like he ended up. Uh... Yeah, there was 12 seconds left in that Benoit Saint Denis round. He had done good in the round. He was winning the striking exchanges. The second he got taken down, he was a fish out of water. That choke happened. There's 12 seconds and he immediately tapped. It was like, oh, dude, a good grappler, strong physical guy that takes him ground and makes him work. McKinney never shot any takedowns in that fight. McKinney was so stressed about not gassing. He just stood at range and pawed away. Like, if someone goes and puts the heat on and takes him down, it's going to be a problem. Vince has got those capabilities. He's from help a shell for a reason. This guy's been your most profitable fighter of all time. 40 years old, Paul. I can't do it. I can't do it. But I wish you all the best, my friend. Yeah, I, I mean, it totally makes sense. And Two by the way, he will three to one shooting. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, we're not doing anything like that. We'll get back on the shoeies. No, we're not doing. I'm not getting peer pressured into this. I already have some money on it. I know, I know the risks at play, but I don't need to be shoey betting for Vince Pichel in a taking on a much younger. He's gonna be 41 uh, November 23rd. So I'm just hoping. He goes into his, you know, little layoff before his birth. That he's able to be, you know, he's not hospitalized after this fight because, you know, it'll be like three short weeks until uh, until that, you know, number forty one comes knocking for him. There can't be too many more fights for Vince Pichel. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show for producer Megan and Cody Saptic. I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. <laughs>